Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition taped on Thursday, August 4th, 2017, or actually Friday, August 4th, 2017. There we go. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me in the studio is Matt Frankel, one of my favorite writers at The Fool and an excellent financials contributor. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to finally be in the studio. It's really exciting. You're coming, you came all the way up from South Carolina. I did two flights later, and here I am. Yeah, the the mysteries of not having a, a major in airport near you. It's actually really <laughs> difficult to get around the country. It turns out it is. I could probably have driven just as fast. Well, we're really, really happy that you <laughs> made the trek. Um, Matt is super awesome, guys. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of his or listened, I guess, read any of his content. It's on fool.com. Super easy to find. Um, if you would like a list of stuff that he's written recently, you can just email me at industryfocus at fool.com, and I'm happy to send that to you. Um, today, we are actually going to be talking about a question that was asked to us by a listener. Um, he wanted to know, I'm going to read his email to you guys. Hi there. Was wondering if you could do an industry focused episode about the credit services industry, specifically focusing on the big players Visa, MasterCard, American Express, etc. Turns out that that etc. is just basically Discover. Yeah, for now. <laughs> anyway, I know Motley Fool covers these companies frequently, so it would be great to hear industry focus provide in depth commentary on those companies and the overall industry with your usual incisive analysis. I sure do like this person. <laughs> Specifically, I understand the growth potential and upside domestically and abroad with Visa, MasterCard, Amex, but what are the risks? And are there any key metrics with these companies that you look at when evaluating them? Thanks. Dan S. from New York City. Well, Dan, today is your dream come true. <laughs> I know that this is, this is, I hope this isn't the peak of your life because that would be really sad, but I'm really excited to answer your question, um, and so is Matt. Um, but just to provide some context for listeners who maybe don't know this space that well, we're going to talk a little bit about what is actually a credit card processor. So, well, do you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, generally speaking, a credit card processor is a middleman that kind of acts as an intermediary between a credit card issuer, a merchant, and a bank. Um, they collect fees generally on both sides. They get a fee by the issuer for processing their payments, and they get a fee from merchants for processing their transactions. Um, MasterCard and Visa are pretty much pure payment processors. That is, they don't actually issue any credit cards themselves, they don't loan anybody money, whereas American Express and Discover are card issuers as well, meaning that they get the benefit of interest income charged on their cards as well as the processing fees. So, they're more of a, they're called a closed-loop payment system. Yeah. So, for example, listeners, if you open up your wallet and you have a Visa or a MasterCard in there, you'll see that it's branded with something else. Maybe it's from a store, maybe it's from your bank, whatever it is. But if you have an Amex or Discover card, it's just Amex or just Discover generally. They do do partnerships as well. Right. There's no such thing as just a Visa or just a MasterCard. Exactly. Um, and the thing that's really interesting about American Express and Discover is that they actually work like banks, essentially. Like they're giving out loans to people as well as issuing the credit cards and like 
coordinating the transaction. The other really interesting thing about American Express is that they actually have this really crazy deal with the merchants, right? Right. Amex has historically been able to charge higher fees than all the other ones, just because they have a very desirable customer base. Mm -hmm. Up until the past decade or so, Amex were high-end credit card products. They had a very affluent client base that merchants want. Um, I know everyone's been to a store that has said, we don't accept American Express. That's why I carry a Visa in my wallet. (laughs) But Amex has always had a very desirable client base, which is why they've been able to get away with charging higher fees than everybody else, which is why a lot of places don't accept American Express. Yeah, because that means that the merchants are paying all these extra fees just for the privilege of using American Express when they could be using Visa or MasterCard, which is much cheaper for the merchants to use. Right. Well, I mean, and it's a trade-off because the average, say, American Express Platinum card holder has a six-figure income. That's the customer you want in your business. So, in some ways, it's worth paying that. They They've done studies where the average American Express customer actually spends more than the average Visa customer. So, it's a big trade-off. Yeah. Um, and also, listeners, these fees that we're talking about that the credit card the credit card processing companies uh, charge, that's why when you go to gas stations or like small bars or something, they're like $10 minimum, even though in a lot of states, that's illegal. <laughs> right. A lot of times, the fee is a, a small percentage, like one or two. I think it's 2% is pretty normal. And there's a minimum that they charge, so that's where the the minimum comes in. And the gas stations, especially, have started kind of passing it along to consumers. There's often two prices, one for cash and one for credit. Yeah. So, that's kind of how they work. Um, it's it's really... They're, they're definitely really interesting businesses. They have pros and cons. And I think for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to generally lump Visa and MasterCard together, since they're both kind of of a type, and American Express and Discover together, since they're both also generally of a type. And just to remind people, Visa MasterCard, solely credit card processors, and Discover and uh, American Express. It's really funny, because before the show, I was telling Matt that I always think of these companies in terms of their, their tickers. So, I'm trying really hard not to be like XP and DFS. <laughs> <laughs> so, you might hear me kind of stumble over the names of them as we talk about them. But um, American Express and Discover in another camp where they both do credit card processing and give out loans. Actually, I, I want to say this real quick, because I thought it was really interesting. Discover's actually recently gotten into the realm of student loans, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, they're actually one of the more popular private student loan lenders now. Um, I know my cousin just took out a Discover student loan for his daughter. And they have a neat incentive program going on, where if the student makes good grades, they'll give you a discount on your loan, which is done a good job of attracting business. Yeah, and that actually makes sense to me, because I think that they've done studies showing that people who generally have good grades are generally also actually better credit risks, because they're more responsible. And not only that, when they get out of school, eventually they're going to get, they have a better chance of getting a good job and paying back the loans. Exactly. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how to evaluate credit card processors. Um, It's interesting, because it's not... Like with any business, sure, there's like a lot of metrics that you could apply to it and say yes or no or whatever. But when it comes to credit card processors, it's really like a lot of businesses also. Um, it's more about the story and the structure and like the potential growth that you might see with them rather than looking at specific metrics. Right. Um, and just looking at kind of the traditionally used price to earnings ratio, they can seem kind of not only expensive, but a big discrepancy between Visa, MasterCard, and Amex and Discover. I almost said DFS there. <laughs> um, 
there's a big discrepancy between those because, well, first of all, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Amex and Discover have loans on the books, as we just mentioned, which kind of creates a big element of default risk. In fact, credit card debt is one of the probably next to payday loans is the riskiest type of debt. Um, that creates an extra element of risk, and so those two trade at generally lower valuations, all things being equal to the other two. The other thing is that Visa and MasterCard are growing rapidly, not so much here, but in countries around the world. Um, Visa especially is doing a great job of growing overseas in China and India. Visa actually just started venturing into China. Which is really exciting. Um, and they, surprising to a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of people, A, think that Visa is already there, because Visa is like so entrenched in everyone's life in the West. Um, but B, I don't think a lot of people realize that credit card processing in China is not where it is in other parts of the world. No. And maybe that really makes sense to some people, but I think it's surprising. It's in its infancy, and China's been very reluctant to allow outside payment processors to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, Visa actually just filed their application with the uh, People's Bank of China. So, it's really exciting. We're definitely going to have to keep an eye on that. So, what you mentioned about American Express and Discover having um, loan risk. So, credit cards are interesting, like you said. They're a riskier thing to, to lend against, because it's not like with a house where if you don't pay your mortgage, the bank has a very tangible asset that they can foreclose on and repossess and then sell again. With credit card debt, it's not necessarily like that. Like It's a consumable, maybe. like They're not going to come and take your groceries and resell them. Right. Credit card's an unsecured form of debt, which is and it's also generally the first one that if people are facing hard times that they won't pay. You're going to pay your mortgage, you're going to pay your rent, you're going to pay your car payment, you're going to pay your insurance, you're going to pay everything else before you knock out your credit card bills. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things that you want to look for with American Express and Discover that you don't need to look for with MasterCard and Visa is going to be um, the the loan losses that they're seeing. Right. Uh, notice any trends that have to do with the what they call the non-performing loan rate, uh, the charge-offs. Um, the companies set aside a certain amount of money to cover projected losses. And those are the loan loss provisions. Right. So, if any kind of uptick in that could be sign that they might be expecting trouble. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what you would actually be looking for in a bank as well. So, if you're looking at American Express and Discover, kind of think of them the same way that you would think of a bank, except with extra revenue, which is interesting, right? Like and, have, and riskier debt. And riskier debt. So, they've got riskier debt, but they've also got a more stable source of income and of non-interest income in terms of the credit card processing payments. Right. It's also it's important to mention, uh, Amex gets only about 20% of its revenue from interest income. The vast majority still comes from various fees. I think over 50% comes from just the swipe fees that we were talking about. Another about 10% comes from their membership fees, because Amex has some pretty high annual fees on a lot of their cards, and fees like late fees and things like that. Yeah, so it's it's they're really interesting companies in that they're more risky in terms of their credit risk, but they're less risky in terms of their non-interest incomes exactly. and banks. Um, so then Visa and MasterCard, um, it's actually kind of a downside for them that they don't get any interest income because they're not making loans. It is, but it also eliminates that risk and is the reason their stock prices are so much higher, highly valued. Right, because interest income, um, especially if you have like a variable rate card, and that's the other thing is that credit cards charge. They're all variable rates. They're all variable rates, and a lot of them charge obscene amounts of interest, like right. especially when you compare it against like a mortgage or something like that. Exactly. 
think oh. the average is about 15%. Yeah, that's so much. That's a lot. <laughs> I think that my I, mortgage is four. Exactly. I was going to say, I think <laughs> the average mortgage is around four. Um, so, like 15 versus four. And oh, there's a lot of credit cards that charge in the 30s. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a that's a cash cow of a business. <laughs> it is if if people pay their their mm-hmm. debts. If things are going well. Which Amex has lower default rates than the others mm-hmm. because, like I said, their their cardholder base is generally more affluent than the others. But it's still pretty risky. Right. I think Amex also has like a higher bar. It's not just that people who are more affluent are attracted to Amex, which is true. It's also that I think Amex has a higher bar for issuing cards to people. They do. Um, they're generally known to be a good, to want excellent credit, especially their traditional charge card products, mm-hmm. as opposed to their credit cards. Yeah, and they come with a bunch of different perks that other cards can't offer because they don't, you don't have to pay as much in fees to yeah, maintain the, the card. The platinum card just raised its annual fee to five hundred fifty dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> but you get two hundred dollars of free Uber rides every year. You get a few hundred dollars of airline fee incidental fees put back on your account. There's. If you use it, it's worthwhile. You get the lounge access at the airport, which is a big thing for travelers. Yeah. Um, if you have like a four-hour layover somewhere, you don't want to be sitting in a crowded terminal. You want a nice, you know, nice drink in a your own chair. Yeah. No, that sounds great. I definitely would not <laughs> mind that. Um, unfortunately, I am not an Amex card holder. Um, so let's talk about one other. Way to evaluate these companies, which is the price-earnings growth ratio. Sure, that's um, that's just a generally accepted way to evaluate companies that seem to trade at really high multiples, just because they're growing so fast. Um, I'll just go over the math real quick. Yeah, please the do. The basic way you calculate it is to just look at the price-to-earnings ratio and divide that by the company's projected growth rate over most people use the next five years. So, for example, uh, Visa, as I write, as we're discussing, as, as I write this, <laughs> Visa, as we're discussing this, um, trades at about thirty-five times trailing earnings, which is pretty high. Yeah, especially for a company in the financial space, they generally don't get that high. No, but they're projected to grow at seventeen percent a year for the next five years. Wow! So, to get the price-earnings growth ra- growth ratio, you would divide the thirty-five by the seventeen, and you get just over two. Which is still a little on the high side, but the whole it's, market's pretty expensive right now. Yeah, and it's so much more reasonable than seventeen. Um, value investors or people who want like bargains generally look for a price earnings ratio of around one, but um, that's a really good way to compare, especially compare Visa and Mastercard with each other, because a lot of people don't know how to compare the two because they're so similar. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing with um, with Visa that's really interesting is that Visa has more credit cards in circulation combined. Than the other three, and the, it, six than times the as many as combined. Discover actually. That's crazy. That's um, so many credit cards. Three hundred twenty-five million in America alone. Oh my gosh. That's more than. That's almost as one for every man, woman, and child in America. Right. So you hear that, and you're like, "Well, how do Visa and Mastercard even compete?" And it's a tricky question. They are pretty much doing what they do. They're. I don't know how you would say that. They're not really competing very well. As much as they are trying to just expand their their global reach, I guess the big race is to see who can, you know, master the foreign markets quickest. Yeah, I think it's the foreign markets and also um, some some technological stuff, which we'll get into later. Um, okay, so we're just going to take a brief break to thank uh, 
Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Support for industry focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Okay, so let's turn to the other side of the coin. We talked a little bit about how to evaluate, um, what the businesses look like, uh, and like where, what, what kind of major sources of income they have. Let's talk about risks. Okay. Um, so let's start with um, let's start with one that I think is probably really interesting to a lot of people and is common to all of them, which is litigation risk. Yes. Um, very few industries are sued as much as the credit card industry is yeah. a good way to say it. Um, American Express has had a few settlements in the past few years. I know Visa has a big antitrust lawsuit that's currently going on. Visa actually had a settlement against them in 2012 of over seven billion. Oh my gosh! But they just got it thrown out somehow. So dramatic. <laughs> um, so yeah, and there's always that risk. And seven billion of uh, out of their their balance sheet or not is a big difference. So this is a risk that people do need to be aware of. If you are a Visa shareholder and see that Visa is being sued, take it seriously. Yeah, and it's not just Visa; it's also Mastercard because they're considered the antitrust lawsuits often name both because they're right. considered a duopoly. Right. Um, there's actually a, a suit naming both of them. The, the one that was over seven billion for Visa said that Visa and I think Mastercard too were keeping the swipe fees artificially high since so many you know disruptors are coming into the market, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But they were keeping the fees higher than they than fair competition would make them. Um, so chances are they might have to lower the fees if things like that continue. And then they make less money. And then they make less money. So that's a big risk. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then with American Express, the um, a lot of merchants sued them because they said again that they were keeping the swipe fees really high because people had no choice because it was this closed loop system. Yeah, you know, they were making kind of unreasonable demands, like they could. I think only accept American Express in certain cases, or kind of like bullying them into paying more than they needed to for credit card services. Yeah, and I believe the merchants actually won that case. I think they did. Yeah, so litigation is definitely something to keep an eye out for in this space. Um, it, it it can get really worrisome, but again, you have these super high powered corporate lawyers, and um, we'll see how it goes in terms of policy over the next few years. Policy could change, I mean, and the, the litigation risk could be decreased, but it could also go the opposite way. I mean, every hundred billion dollar company is going to get sued. It's going to happen, but the, just the point is, the credit card industry gets sued more than most. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that the other thing, so a risk that is contained just to American Express and Discover is, as we mentioned, the credit risk um, because they're taking on these loans. If there's a Sharp downturn in the economy, like people are going to stop paying back their cards, like you said earlier, um, and that's a risk that applies on only to them, which is reflect- reflected in their evaluation, as mentioned earlier. Right. Um, there's also um, the risk of competition for for those two, um, since they issue their. I mean, from <clears throat> from other card issuers, um, American Express, for example, a couple of years ago lost its Costco 
uh, agreement, which was a big, big deal. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, just in case listeners don't know? Sure. Um, a co-branding agreement means that a merchant or a bank or someone else goes to American Express and asks them to issue a credit card with their brand on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Costco American Express, for a while, American Express was the only card being accepted in Costco. Um, if you wanted Costco reward points, you had to get an American Express card. It's a co-branding. That's what a co-branding agreement kind of does. It kind of is a mutually beneficial arrangement where Amex issues a card for somebody else. It's symbiotic, not parasitic. Right now, they have uh, co-branding agreements with Delta is one of the, is their biggest one. I think uh, they also have Starwood Hotels, which that one's actually in question right now because Starwood got bought out by uh, Marriott. Oh, okay. Um, so there's a big and Marriott is not an Amex partner. So there's a big question about whether or not that's going to stick, and that's a big revenue source of theirs. There's a few others. I think Mercedes is an Amex partner, you know, affluent card holders. Yeah, um, and actually, the hotel business is actually really, really interesting because a lot of businesses issue Amex cards as opposed to Visa or Mastercard. So, like, if you're a business traveler, your company will have given you an Amex mm-hmm. company card. Um, and that's why you have like all these agreements with the hotel chains. Um, so if they lose that, that could be a major blow to Amex. I know star- the Starwood corporate card's a big deal for Amex. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on. I wouldn't, for now, they, Marriott says they're going to keep the two brands pretty much as they were. Um, I mean, I have a Starwood Amex card and it hasn't been canceled yet. <laughs> so, um, but that's a risk um, that one of their if the, if Delta pulled the plug on Amex for whatever reason the two companies got enough disagreement that would be a big blow to Amex's bottom line. Yeah. Whereas Visa and Mastercard, a they have so they 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 issue cards for basically everyone. Right. So for example, if Capital One a Capital One Visa card, mm-hmm. Visa and Capital One got in some kind of dispute, another bank would issue the same Visa card and get that business. Yeah. It's more of a non-issue for them. It's an issue for Amex, Discover, and all the banks that issue credit cards. Yeah. So, um, you know, just something to keep in mind when you think about when you think about American Express and Discover versus MasterCard and Visa. Um, so let's talk about the last one, which I think is the most exciting, which is um, disruptors in the space. You're talking about the Squares, the Venmos. The PayPal's of the world. You were telling me about Venmo earlier today. I'm I'm actually very, very old school. I carry plastic credit cards and like to swipe my card, I still forget to use the chip reader every time I go to a store. <laughs> Anyone else have that problem? <laughs> do you um, do you still write paper checks? Rarely, very rarely. Um, most people don't want them anymore. I can't. And they're too easy to lose. They're too easy to lose. I can't remember the last time I wrote a paper check. I think it was actually in Nebraska when I was trying to pay my rent, and I, I told you this this story earlier, which is that. Um, I went to go pay my rent one month, and I did pay it on time. And somehow the envelope with the check some somehow got lost or got stuck under a table. And they thought that I hadn't paid my rent that month, and they charged me a bunch in late fees. And I was like, No, I definitely paid my rent. Um, which is why I'm very grateful now that I pay my landlords using Venmo because yeah, there's an electronic record that I have yeah, paid it's, my it's, rent. It's not that electronic payments don't get messed up. It's that there's a uh, you can look at it on the screen and say, Here's where I paid it. Here's yeah. So it's just more of a 
I want to say paper trail, but it's not a paper trail anymore. It's an e-trail. An e-trail. <laughs> um, exactly. So you have all these like really, and the other thing about Venmo versus a paper check is that it's so much easier to use. You can just use it on your phone. Like who doesn't have their phone with them basically all the time? Right. Or Square's another one. They're not really you know stepping on the toes of the big ones. They Square readers accept Amex, Mastercard, American Express. But companies like that could eventually potentially steal some market share from them if they wanted to. Yeah, especially because they're so much easier to use. And I think that the Square um, Square is a lot more friendly for smaller merchants. So like plumbers, or if you're a horse person, like a farrier, your farrier might have Square, or you know, just like your random like a hot dog cart. Like they're more likely to have a Square than they are to have like a an actual credit card swipe machine. Mm-hmm. The other one you you brought up earlier in our conversation is Bitcoin. Oh yeah, that's and, and alternative cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. um, or the- digital currencies, whichever is the accepted term nowadays. Um, but there's Bitcoin. There's a few others that are are starting to gain traction. But the whole point of those is so you don't need a middleman, right? So that's bad for companies that are the middleman, mm-hmm. which is all four of them. Um, and that's why Bitcoin, like, there is a there is a charge to transfer it to someone else, but it's minute. It's minute. Very it, small. Exactly. It's not one percent or two percent, or like in the case of Western Union, like ten percent. No, it's it's small enough you usually don't notice it. Exactly. I mean, I've used Bitcoin just mostly for professional purposes to figure out how it works, and the fee is it works out to a few cents every time you send a hundred dollars or something like that. It's not much. Yeah. Um, and I honestly don't see Bitcoin becoming widespread for at least another five to ten years. But when it does, that's a that could be a big blow to revenue, especially uh, companies like Visa and American Express, Mastercard, because they depend on international card revenues. Um, a lot of people don't know that Visa and Amex charge foreign transaction fees on a lot of their cards, unless it's a specific perk that you don't have to pay those. Yeah. But that's a big chunk of their revenue. And if you could send money to somebody in, you know, the middle of Africa for three cents with Bitcoin, but you're gonna pay, you know, ten percent from Western Union, yeah. That's a big it's a big deal. There's no question. Like why would you even think about doing that? And I know Western Union wasn't really part of this conversation. But no, like, but that's the extreme example in the other direction. Exactly. They definitely they definitely have some stuff to fear. And it's not like Visa and MasterCard, um, because it's mostly them who are like actively looking for for ways to kind of survive disruptors because American Express and Discover are always going to have that interest income to help buffer them. But Visa and MasterCard, it's like they kind of need to get hip with the times. Well, all four are trying to find ways to use the the underlying Bitcoin technology, not the coins themselves, the blockchain, the blockchain technology to um Kind of work to their advantage, which if they figure that out, then Bitcoin's not that big of a deal. Yeah, and Bitcoin is a really big topic. So if you want to know more about Bitcoin, uh, just shoot me an email at industryfocus@fool.com. We did two episodes with uh, Brian Patrick Eha, who wrote a really big book about Bitcoin, the really awesome book. So um, I'm happy to send you both of those episodes if you email me. But um, anyway, and I, I I wrote a good what is Bitcoin. Yes, you did. Matt Frankel also wrote a really good article, which I'm happy to send you as well in that email. <laughs> Little plug for myself only. No, excellent. That's I mean, yes, perfect. Um, um, but no, so it's it's really interesting. Like, so for example, you have Visa and Mastercard trying to do partnerships with like Apple Pay, or right. or you PayPal know, in Visa's or case. PayPal. Mm-hmm. 
um, and acquiring a bunch of these little startups that um, the security one that you were mentioned. What was the selfie pay? Oh yeah, Mastercard has um, bought a company that lets them lets users take a selfie of themselves to uh, confirm that they are the ones who made a purchase. But they also have um, bought companies that can, or they've bought a company that can tell who you are based on how you hold your phone and how you use your keyboard, which is crazy to me. So like in theory, you won't even have to type in a pin number. You won't have to use it. Like a chip card, like nothing. It'll just like know it's you. you that's your hand holding it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is so wild. It is. It's. I'm curious to see what happens in the fintech space in the next ten years. People think of banking as such a boring industry, but it's really not these days. No, especially especially with these um, payment processors type things. It's it's really crazy. Sending money around the world has been a super lucrative business for a super long time, especially and- for Amex. Yeah, and they remember the travelers check. You, oh yeah, I don't know if you ever used the Amex travelers checks. But I they were a big deal. I might was, was not old enough to use them. Well, I wasn't. I'm not really either. They were um, as soon as debit cards and credit cards came along, they pretty much started to go away. As a kid, my my dad used to work internationally, so he would make sure to stop at a bank and get a bunch of American Express travelers checks before he went on his trip, so he'd have some some cash on him. Yeah, because and before, like, you couldn't just bring your credit card and have it work. No, so that's been a very big business for a very long time, and they were able they were able to transition from travelers' checks to credit cards. That's where the foreign transaction fees came in. But it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens when all this extra competition, when it's not just four companies in the game anymore. Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, so I think anyway, we're a little off track. No, it's totally fine. I think <laughs> I think though that we're we should start wrapping up, and I think question of the day. Would you buy any of these companies? And if so, which one would you buy? I like American Express. I think it's a good value. I think people underestimate the value of its brand name. Um, I know. I think it was. I'm not sure the magazine, but it's the big ranking of the most valuable brand. Interbrand that does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and American Express's brand is actually worth more than Visa or Mastercard when you just talk about the dollar value of its brand. It was well in the tens of billions. So people. Don't really realize how valuable a brand name is. Um, that's I. I just like American Express. They, they rebounded from the Costco uh, drama very well. And I mean, full disclosure, I'm a. I've been an Amex shareholder for a few years. But that's my pick. How about you? Um, I think that if I were to buy one, I think I'd probably buy Mastercard. Their story is more compelling to me. And I think that they have a greater runway for growth than Visa does. I agree. They also are priced for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they really definitely are. But I think that um, actually, I probably wouldn't buy any of them. Oh, fair enough. But if I had to buy one, it would be Mastercard. I think that if I, um, I think that instead, I would probably actually put my dollars towards PayPal because I think they are kind of. Near the the leading edge of what's going to go, what's going to go down. If you want to talk about the disruptors? I I put my money in Square, even though it's gone up a lot in the past year or so. I uh, they just re- reported a, a monster quarter, yeah, and went down. Um, so I take a closer look at them if you want to get into one of the disruptors. Interesting. Okay, hold on, Austin. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, Austin. Do you use Square or Venmo? I use Venmo occasionally. Okay. Do you use pay- PayPal ever? I do use PayPal. Okay. For, like if somebody has to send me like, because Venmo's got like a, I think it's like a two hundred dollar limit. Uh huh. So. Oh no, it doesn't. 
Because oh, I pay really? my rent. Oh, well, never mind then. That's <laughs> what I was under the impression of. So if there's any, like, if there's a job or something I do for somebody, and I'm like, oh, you can just send me it on PayPal instead of sending me a check. There you go. And Austin is hip with the kids. He's way hipper than me. Probably hipper probably, than Matt. Yeah, probably. I'm not sure. Me, I'm, I haven't been one of the kids in a long time. Matt may be the hippest one here. <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, you've heard it from the mouth of the horse. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. I hope to have you on the show again soon. Um, thank you to Austin, our wonderful producer, who puts up with me messing up ad reads all the time. You won't hear that because he'll wonderfully have edited it out. Uh, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus and let us know if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer on air. Shout out to Dan S. from New York for having such a wonderful question, and I hope everyone has a great week. <laughs>